If you have a Bible, I would invite you to join me in 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11 this morning. Well, there is in our society and in our culture, I believe, a, an obsessive, almost obsessive idea about love. People write songs about falling in love or falling out of love. Movies are made all the time about love and romance. Books are being written about love and relationships. There's just something about love that captures the imagination and then fuels creativity in us. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, I said I decided I would look up a few of those songs that have uh, really been inspired by the idea of love. And, and so these songs that I found uh, all reached the number one on the charts. Uh, and they come from a lot of different genres, but we can see, and this is just a, a small sampling, we can see the idea of love and how it permeates things. In 1992, Whitney Houston reached number one on the charts with, with her song, I Will Always Love You, which was recorded earlier actually by Dolly Parton originally, but reached number one with Whitney Houston. In 1965, the Righteous Brothers actually sang about falling out of love with You've Lost That Lovin' Feelin'. Uh, in 1993, pop star Janet Jackson had a number one hit with That's the Way Love Goes. If you want to go to a different genre and a little bit kind of rock, Huey Lewis in the News sang That's the Power of Love. Maybe my favorite on the list, uh, Stevie Wonder's hit, I Just Called to Say I Love You. Or you can look in 1964, the Beatles reached number one with She Loves You. Or uh, Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. A few years ago, Beyonce sang about being crazy in love. Somebody out here knows Beyonce, right? Don't act like you don't. In the late 50s, Elvis Presley sang, I can't help falling in love with you. Uh, years later, in the early 90s, Bob Dylan would write, To Make You Feel My Love, which has been recorded by numerous artists and reached number one multiple times. And these are just a few. This is a small sampling of the songs that are written about love. But it's not just love or in, in songs. It's actually even in movies that it spills over. In fact, we have an entire category of movie, a genre of movie dedicated to this. We call them now romantic comedies. right? That, that it's supposed to make you laugh, but the whole premise centers around two people and how they fall in love. P movies like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, The Princess Bride, Say Anything, Annie Hall. My favorite, Groundhog Day. When Harry Met Sally. Almost anything that Julia Roberts ever stars in. Right? And people are, love these movies so much that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan actually made the exact same movie twice. And they just changed the city that it was taking place in and changed the title of the movie. The first time they made it, it was called Sleepless in Seattle. And it took place in the city of Seattle and they wrote letters to one another. A few years later, it took place in New York, and instead of writing letters, they sent email, and they called it You've Got Mail. They made the exact same movie two different times, and people love it. In, in fact, people will tell you, those two movies are my favorite movie. They actually can't be because they're the same movie. <laughs> but people will flock to these things. What it demonstrates is that people, people are interested in the topic of love. And this shouldn't surprise us as Christians. In fact, we should actually be very interested in this topic as well. The idea of love is a dominant biblical theme. It's all over the, the Old Testament and the New. The idea of love is one of major importance to us as followers of Christ. But the big difference between the way those books and the movies and the songs portray love and the way the Bible does is really who gets to define 
love. In songs and books and in movies and in the culture at large, love is defined by the individual. And for the individual, love is a feeling, and it can come and it can go, and it lands on whoever it just happens to land on at the time. The Bible takes a very different approach. The Bible says that love is defined by God. And because love is defined by God, it actually flows out of the very character and nature of who God is. That apart from God, we cannot truly love one another. That love is not a feeling, but it's a covenant and a commitment together. That it flows from the very character and nature of who God is. This is why, as followers of Christ, we will be people who love. Because we are connected to Christ, and when you are connected to Christ, what's true of Him flows into you and surfaces in you. And so if love flows out of the very character and nature of God, then it will flow in our lives as well. And this is the idea that John is addressing in the verses that we're going to look at this morning. He's addressing the topic of love and the idea of our love for one another. He's not addressing the love that a a husband and wife will have or between a, a woman and a man, but he is addressing the idea of love when it comes to the way that we, as followers of Christ, love one another. And what we will see as we look at these verses together is that we have this love for one another, not because we're really good at loving, but because of what Christ has done. What John is going to show us in this text is that because of Christ and his finished work on the cross, followers of Christ will and must love one another. So if you want to sum up what everything is about today, it's, it's simply that. Because of Christ and his finished work on the cross, followers of Christ will and must love one another. So I would invite you, if you are able, to stand with me as we read God's word together. From 1 John chapter 2. Verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that it would be your word that speaks today and it would be your spirit that lands truth in our heart. May the things that I say that are not from you, may they fall to the floor and be quickly forgotten. May the things that I say that are of your spirit and what your word communicates, may they sink deep into our hearts today, O God, so that Christ would be glorified in us. And it's for the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today as we walk through these verses, we're going to see three simple things that John points out. We will see the command that he gives, uh, the change that's brought in the command, and then the result of that. So we'll see the command, the change, and then the result. We start with the command because in verse 7, John says that he is not writing to them a new commandment, but an old commandment that they had from the beginning. What he's talking about is referencing back to what he has just said in verse 6. So in verse 7, John's not starting a new thought. He's actually expanding on the ideas that he's talked about in verse 6. And he tells them in verse 6, That if you abide in him, or he who abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The him there in verse 6 is is Christ. 
We know that because we, as followers of Christ, abide in him. That's what John 15 tells us. And so he's saying that, um, that we should, the commandment is that we who abide in Christ should walk the way, in the way that Christ walked. And so that leads to the question, how did Christ walk? What is it about Christ and the way that he walked that John is pointing to? Well, if I could sum it up in the simplest way possible for us, it would be this, that Jesus walked in the way of love. That's what he did. Jesus walked in the way of love. It was, love was the way that Jesus responded to those who were around him. And not only is that the way that Jesus lived, it's what he taught his followers as well. At one point in his ministry, one of the Pharisees decides that he is going to kind of test Jesus and give him a question. And it's recorded for us in Matthew 22, verses 40, or 36 through 40. And he says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is the question that's being asked of Jesus. And then Jesus responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Okay, and he says the greatest commandment or really commandments is to love. To first have love for God. And when we have love for God, it will then flow out of us into love for one another. But it's important to note that when Jesus gives this answer here, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He says, you shall love the Lord your God. He's quoting there from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then he follows that up with a quote from Leviticus in Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What this demonstrates to us is that love for God and and love for others is not just something that Christ starts. It it didn't originate in in the ministry of Christ, but love, because it flows out of the very character and nature of who God is, it's always been the mark and the call of God's people. The command to love has always, always marked the people of God. The Israelites were given the command. They were expected to love God and love one another. But you could go back even farther to the very first man and woman. Adam and Eve are given the the mandate and, and the call to love God and love others. And the reason that happens is because when God creates man, he places his image in man. And so it's going to be natural if, the, if love flows out of the very character and nature of God and the image of God is placed in us, then it's going to be natural for us to have the desire and the inclination to love. This is why people who don't even believe that God exists, who don't follow Christ at all, this is why they're obsessed with love. This is why they have the desire to love other people. Because it's been placed in us, in the image of God in us. And the problem lies, and that after God places his image in man, sin enters the picture. And so that image is broken, it's marred, it's fractured. So that now, we don't default to loving God and loving others. Now we fail to love. This is true of us most of the time. We, we fail so often to love other people. While the command of love has always marked the people of God, the reality of our lives is we put our own comforts and needs above others and do not act in love. 
Because sin has entered the picture and it's broken that image of God in us, we now put our own comforts and needs above others and we do not act in love. I believe this is the reality that we live in. That love is a great idea and it sounds wonderful to everyone. But it is amazingly hard. No matter how much we might say otherwise, most of us have the idea that love is something we express towards other people and not something that we do. We may say it's actually something we do, but, but in reality, we live in a way that it's something we express towards other people and not something that we actually do. Because doing it takes effort. And doing can often be inconveniencing to me. I'm really good at loving people from a distance. Right? I'm good at caring about something from a ways away from them. But to engage and to do and to make an effort That's hard. Now, I know some of you might be thinking this. You look at your life, you look at the people who are in your life, and you think, actually, love isn't all that hard. If I was honest with you, the people that I engage with the most, and the people that I'm the closest with and that I know and that I interact with, they make it actually pretty easy for me to love them. There are times where it's difficult and I have to push myself a little bit to love them, but for the most part, my family, my friends, they make it easy to love them. And so I can look at my life and, and I can see the way that I serve and the way that I do things for other people and I can think, you know what, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this loving thing. It actually isn't that hard. Maybe you look at your life and you think the same thing. And I believe one of the reasons that we think that is because we have the idea that the, the, the only thing that's the opposite of love is hate. And so if we aren't actively hating someone, right? I don't hate anyone. I'm not allowed to. I'm a Christian, right? If we aren't, act, if we aren't actively hating someone, then we think what we're doing is loving. But the opposite, while the opposite of lo- love is hate, it does not mean that just because you don't hate someone, you're acting in love towards them. Most often, the positions and the positions that we take toward other people and their circumstances is just one of indifference. It doesn't really affect me. It's not my problem, and so we sit back and we detach ourselves from it because we don't want to have to deal with it. We need to get into our minds that that indifference towards others is just as unloving as hate. Because both hate and indifference keep us from acting in love toward one another. Both indifference and hate, they keep us from acting in love toward one another. So let me put this in the exact context that John is talking about here in these verses. For followers of Christ, indifference towards the circumstances, situations, and plights of other believers, because that's who he's addressing, it's not the way of love. If you are a follower of Christ, indifference toward the circumstances, situation, and plights of other believers is not the way of love. So indifference, not just hate, but indifference towards other brothers and sisters in Christ and their cares and their concerns and their problems and the things that they are walking through, it is not the way of the people of God. If love has been mar- has marked the people of God from the very beginning, as John says then it means that we are acting that way toward one another. This should be the mark of the people of God. This is the command that is given from the beginning. It's an old commandment, he tells them. 
It's been active in their lives since the moment they placed their faith in him. However, there is something new. There's a change that has taken place. So we've seen the command that he gives in verse 7, and now we turn to the change that he talks about in verse 8, because in verse 8 he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. He says it's a new commandment, and he gives us a specific location for this newness. He says there, it is true in him. It's true. This newness of the command, it's true in in him. And so that should make us ask the question, who's the him? Now everybody wants to just immediately think, well, he must be talking about Jesus. Well, he is in this situation, but he's talking about that because he's still, again, referring back to what he said in verse 6. We abide in Christ, and so we walk as he walked, and so it's Christ who has brought the newness of the command. And so therefore, the newness of the commandment is true in Christ. The command of love is changed in Christ. So it's this old commandment they've always had, but it's changed in Christ, that Christ has come and he has made the commandment different in some way. I'm a big fan of asking questions of the text when you read it. And so as I read that, it leads me to another question. How has Christ made it different? What has he done to make the commandment different? Well, if you look at the life of Christ and the truths that he taught and the way that he lived, I think there are two very specific ways, two main ways the command to love is different. The first is it's different in who we are called to love. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is giving his sermon on the mountain. In verse 43 through 44, we read this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament there. He's actually referring back to Leviticus 19 that we read earlier, that you shall love your people. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then Jesus says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The command is different because the call to love is now extended to all people. Even those people who would seek to do us harm. An enemy is someone who wants to harm you in some way. It could be spiritual, it could be emotional, it could be physical, but they are seeking your harm. And the call on the follower of Christ now is to not respond in a reciprocal way. Not to seek their harm, but to to love them. And and this command to love your enemies, it's most clearly demonstrated for us in Christ. That when his enemies reviled him, when they persecuted him, when they sought to put him to death, Christ responded in love. Christ acted in love, even to those who would seek to do him harm. And this leads to the second way the command is new. It's the lengths to which love goes. It's one thing to love someone who's nice to you and does nice things for you. And it's, and it's one thing to love someone and just do nice things for them and serve them. But to heed the words of Christ from John 15 in the way of love is very different when he says this in verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh yeah, easy, let's love one another. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The true love for one another, it goes all the way to the end. And Jesus calls his followers to love in the way that he loved. And that means that we will lay down our lives for one another. Because this is what Christ does. His love for his people would drive him all the way to the cross. And so we see the commandment is new 
because of the example that Christ brings and the teaching that he gives. Through his life, Christ has shown us now the way to love others. This is the change in the commandment. Through his life, Christ has shown us now the way to love others. Scholar Danny Aiken notes that the law of love is new in the sense that it is now seen in Jesus. That we look at his life and we see what he did and we say now that is the way that we go and love others. But John takes it even further than that for us. That John tells us, not only tells us that Christ has made the commandment different in some way, he gives us the reason why the commandment is different. So the commandment's changed, and here's why the commandment is different. If you look at the second half of verse 8, he says, Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The command is different because Jesus has come, and through his death and resurrection, he has defeated sin. He has put an end to its reign. So what does this mean for us in the way that we love? How has it changed? Well, remember we said earlier, that on our own, we will fail to love others. Right? That we'll put our own desires and our own comforts and our own needs ahead of others because of sin which dwells in us and the way that we act towards one another. And here's Jesus saying, the way that you now love is to love your enemies, those who would seek to do you harm. The way you now love is by laying down your life for one another. How can we possibly love our enemies and love to the point of death? We can because Christ did. The power does not lie in us, it lies in Christ. Through his life, Christ has shown us the way to love others. Through his death and resurrection, Christ actually gives us the ability to love others. And through his life, he's shown us the way that we are to love others. But through his death and resurrection, he has actually given us the ability to love others. Note there what John says, that the commandment is true in him and in you. He tells his readers the newness of this commandment. It's true in them. It's true for those who are in Christ because it's true of Christ. Which means if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, the ability to love others the way Jesus loved already resides in you because the spirit of Christ is in you. The the Holy Spirit is indwelt in you. And so you have, we have the ability to love others in this way. And here's the even better news. When we fail to do that, when we fail to love the way Christ does, when we fail to love our enemies and serve one another, we turn to Christ. And we remember that there is forgiveness for that. Because every time that we have failed to love, we remember that Christ, he never did. He loved perfectly in every moment. And he loved perfectly for you, and he loved perfectly for me. He loved perfectly, and he offers us grace when we do not. He not only gives us the ability to love through his death and resurrection, but he offers us the grace and the forgiveness when we fail to love because of his death and his resurrection. And so if we are in Christ, we can love, and we can continue and move forward in grace. Because we are in Christ, we will love one another. This is the way that Christ operated. This is the change that has been brought. It is now Christ working in us to love others, not us just trying to give our effort to love others well. 
So we've seen the command, we've seen the change. Now let's look at the result that it brings in verses 9 through 11. He says in verse 9 that whoever hates his brother is not in the light. So to say that you have fellowship with God, or to say that you walk in the light, but you have hate for your brother, it gives an indication that you are not in the light. It means that you are not in Christ. If you hate your brother, you're not in Christ. But the opposite is also true. According to verse 10, if you love your brother, then you abide in the light. What John is saying here is that faith in Christ will lead to love for other believers. Faith in Christ is going to lead to love for other believers. Remember, he's writing this on the heels of what we looked at last week. How if we have faith in him, if we have faith in Christ, then we will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's going to happen as he works in us. We will walk as Jesus walked. We will love one another. And so here's the ramifications of that. Faith in Christ will lead to love for one another. Here's the two big ramifications for that. If the one who hates his brother, he's in the darkness. And verse 11 tells us that he is in the darkness. He cannot see where he is going. He is blinded. He cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ. But the one who loves his brother, he abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. Which makes sense, right? If you get up tonight in the middle of the night, and you go walking around your house, you're a little more careful. Why? Because you don't want to stub your toe and say something that you shouldn't say in the middle of the night and wake everyone in the house up. Right? Because you don't know exactly where everything is because the lights are out and it's dark and, and you, don't, you don't want to fall. You don't want to trip. You don't want to hurt yourself. You don't walk around like that during the day because the lights are on and you can see Everything that's there. And so John says, if, if we love our brother, then there's no cause. We are not going to stumble. And the stumbling he's talking about, it's a reference to sin. But he's not saying, hopefully we've studied enough of 1 John for you to realize, John is never saying that you're not ever going to sin again. Right? He's not saying that if you love your brother, you're never going to sin. The sin that he has in mind here is specific, and the sin that he's referring to is the sin of the false teachers that he's addressing. And their sin was that they denied that Christ had come in the flesh and that he had really died for sin. And so what John is saying is if you abide in the light, you will, you will love your brother. So follow his argument. If we walk in the light, if we have faith in Christ, we will love our brother. That will be the evidence that we are in Christ for us. And that love for one another brought about because we are in Christ, that love for one another assures us that we are followers of Christ. What John is saying is that love for one another, love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, leads to assurance that we abide in Christ. Love for one another, it leads us to assurance that we are in Christ, that we are saved, we are born again. And so faith in Christ will lead to love for one another. And that love for one another, it will lead to assurance that we have faith in Christ. The second big ramification of this is the love that we exhibit for one another. It's so different. And by one another, I mean brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fellowship together. That's who John is referencing here. But our love for one another, 
It's so different and it's so unique that it will testify to the world that the gospel is true. Our love for one another, it testifies to the world the gospel is true. When we think and talk about the gospel, I think there are two things that we want to make sure that we are clear on. The first thing is that the gospel needs to be spoken. By definition, the gospel is good news. And news is something that actually has to be communicated using words. And so the gospel, the good news of Christ, that we were dead in our sin, that we had rebelled from God, and that God, by His initiative, sent His Son to live a perfect life and then to die a sacrificial death and triumphantly rise from the grave so that we, if we place our faith in Him, could be forgiven of sins and have everlasting life. It needs to be spoken to people. That's the first thing that we want to get clear. We have to tell people the gospel. The second thing I think that we need to be clear on is that the gospel will only be proven true by our love for one another. The good news of the gospel, it has to be spoken, but no one will believe the gospel if those who are followers of Christ do not love one another. No one will believe the gospel if followers of Christ do not love one another. Our love for one another is the greatest gospel witness that we have. Our love for one another, it's the greatest gospel witness that we have. When Christ is praying with and for his disciples, right before he goes to the cross, he says something very important for us to hear and I think understand. He says this in John 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for those who would believe in the gospel spread by his disciples. And he prays that they would be one. In other words, he prays that, that we, as those who would believe in the gospel, we would love one another and be united together. And then he tells us why he prays it. So that the world will believe that God sent Jesus. Jesus is praying that we would love one another because that love proves that the gospel is true. This should push us to think about the way that we go about loving one another and who we strive to love. I think one thing that makes the gospel so beautiful, it is that it unites people who normally would never come together. People from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different races, different genders, different political views, they do not naturally come together. And spend time together and unite together. Something has to break down the barrier that's between them. This is what the gospel does. And so let me say this to you, church. If you call Trinity Baptist Church your home, if everyone around you looks like you and thinks like you and holds all the exact same opinions as you do, you need to consider your love for one another. If everyone around you looks like you and thinks like you and holds all the exact same opinions as you, you need to consider your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we pushing ourselves, follower of Christ, are you pushing yourself to love one another? Even those that you would necessarily disagree with on some issues. I'm not talking about gospel issues here. I'm talking about periphery issues. If we aren't, then we need to examine the way that we love one another. Because the gospel, 
It's the only thing in the world that breaks down those kinds of barriers. If you don't believe that, go and read Ephesians 2 today. You read verses 1 through 11 and it tells you of the power of the gospel. And then you read verses 12 and following and you will find out that it breaks down the divides that normally should separate us. Because of what Christ has done, because of Christ's finished work on the cross, his followers will and must love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And oh God, we thank you. Not only did you demonstrate what love looks like, not only did you give us the example of what love looks like, you gave us the ability to love that way through your death and your resurrection. And when we fail to do that, God, we thank you that because of faith in you, your perfect life of love stands in our place. And so may that love, may we respond with the motivation to love one another well. For the glory of Christ, for the joy of our hearts, and for the furtherance of your kingdom. It's for the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to transition to a time of worship through song again. And if during that time you have questions about the gospel and you would like to come and talk to, to me or to someone you know to be a follower of Christ, this is a great time to do that. If you don't want to do that now, you can find us after the service is over. If you have questions about our church, how to join, being baptized, anything like that, please come talk to us. If not now, after the service, we would love to talk with you about how you can do that. But let's, let's focus our minds on the fact that Christ, he not only showed us the way to love, he gave us the ability to do it through his death and his resurrection. Let's stand and worship him together.